Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Curious Neuron Podcast. My name is Cindy Hovington, and I am your host. Today is a solo episode, so you're stuck with me. <laughs> I want to take um, today's episode and next week as well. Um, next week, I will be talking uh, about self-compassion. And today, we're going to talk about the end of the summer and how to prepare your child for this next school year. Um, and before I do that, I just wanted to chat with you a little bit and let you know what's coming up. So in addition to these two solo episodes, the third week into August, I have invited some special to come in as a um, um, a takeover and take over the Curious Neuron podcast for that one episode. And then the plan is to take two weeks off and to come back um, mid-September with some new guests into season four, which I can't believe is already, it's already season four. Um, we have so many episodes and I'm going to stick to the weekly episodes. I've been playing around with that for the past three years. Um, flipping back and forth during the seasons from one episode a week to two episodes a week. I'm sorry, two episodes uh, a month. What did I just say? <laughs> one episode a week to an episode every other week. I, that was confusing. But I, I, I want to stick to an episode every single week. I have a team now working with me editing the podcast and I've asked somebody to come help me edit the videos. Um, so I'm hoping that I can also get the videos in September or the next season up on YouTube so that you can either listen to it or even watch it. It's not as fun to watch me, but uh, <laughs> I hope that you do enjoy it that way. So that's what's coming up for the Curious Neuron podcast. Uh, we are launching season four and I already have a really a lot of amazing uh, guests we're focusing a lot more on the behavior part Curious Neuron has continued to shape itself as the years have come along and you know I used to cover a lot of child development and now I really want to uh, that's still part of it but I want to focus a lot on the parents behavior and the child's behavior because both are really important throughout uh, during this summer I've been speaking to some researchers here uh, at McGill University in Montreal and um, I'm lucky that there's uh, one researcher in, in particular that will be collaborating with me and helping um, guide me this researcher um, studies longitudinal impacts of a child's environment. He uh, he follows children from the moment of conception until now the children he started following are now 18 years old. So I want to collaborate with this lab a lot more and get you that information because that is really important stuff that shouldn't be hidden from parents. And that continues to be my mission here um, at Curious Neuron. I want to help you create the best possible environment for your child and their future. And that is by sharing research with you. I will be reaching out to, um, you know, authors and scientists and clinicians that will give you that information. Before we begin with today's episode, I would like to thank the Tannenbaum Open Science Institute for supporting the Curious Neuron podcast. This would not be possible without you. I would have to actually stop the podcast. So thank you on my behalf and everybody else's. <laughs> um, I encourage you to subscribe to the Curious Neuron podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to leave a rating and a review. It really helps push us up on the uh, charts and lets people know that it's an important one for them to listen to And when it comes to parenting. I want to cover everything that I possibly can when it comes to parenting so that you have a reliable and trusted resource. I would also invite you to follow Curious Neuron on Instagram at Curious underscore Neuron. I post almost every single day um, about like some aspect or, you know, some study that I read that will help you parent your child. All right, so 
Summer is coming to an end now and well not now it's it's August 8th let's let's you know let's not push <laughs> let's not make it over but um some kids are starting school this year uh, this week or next week i know in the US and here in Canada uh, we begin the first week of September so as things are winding down i want you to think about a few things when it comes to your child's development and their skills when it comes to preparing them for school this is for either children who are starting preschool for the first time or kindergarten or even young kids in early elementary school in grade 1, 2 and 3 or even 4. There are a few things that I'd like you to think about before they start school because perhaps it'll change how you structure your day or which activities you prepare for them, not even prepare, but just, you know, are are mindful of when it comes to helping them get ready for school. I don't know if you had a, a list of things that you wanted to do with them this summer and I don't know if you accomplished them. On my end, it's a no. <laughs> that did not happen. I wanted to review certain things when it came to schooling. And as you know, I homeschool. I wanted to um, look over a few topics and reading we've been doing. But when it comes to um, certain math things, I don't know, topics that I wanted to review, it just didn't happen. We, we still have some time, obviously. But, you know, the first week of August and we didn't get any of that done. It's been really laid back this summer. We've been had some really hot days, but also some really rainy days. And it's just been kind of relaxing not to have the school the school schedule here in our home. So I, I'm just curious. Let me know. <laughs> send me an email uh, or send me a DM. Let me know if you got things done this summer. Okay, so here are the five things I would like you to focus on during whatever time you have left, whether it's a week, a weekend, or or the, the entire month. These are the five topics or skills that I'd like you to think of. Independence with your child or your child's independence, creativity, flexibility, self-control or regulation with emotions, and their confidence. Now we're going to go through these. Uh, I don't want to take too much of your time, but I do want to go through these and and explain why they are important to me as a mom and as somebody who has studied neuroscience. Um, and what you can do, which by the way is mostly play and, and how we speak to our child, um, what you can do to help them develop these skills. So the first one being independence, especially if you have a child who's going to start school for the first time or kindergarten or preschool, even in grade one, if, if you could focus on everyday things that you do that your child will be doing on their own. That's all I want you to do is be mindful of how independent they are. Can they unzip their own school bag? Can they open a container, a Ziploc that you have to kind of snap on each side? Are they able to open uh, a water bottle if they need to refill it? What do they need to practice that will help them be more independent when you're not with them. Um, even when it comes to routines, if your child really needs you to guide them in the morning, like during the morning routine or the the evening routine, can you create some sort of visual or, um, you know, you can go onto Canva, canva.com, you can have a free account there and print out pictures that show, you know, uh, the the routine of the morning, brushing your teeth, whether it's washing your face, going to the bathroom, you can put some pictures in the order that you want in your own home and print that and put that on put that on the wall and start practicing that so that when it's time to start school, it'll be a little bit easier for you to get the morning routine done. Um, you know, you could put a picture of getting dressed, putting on a shirt, depending on what your child struggles with, because you don't want to start the school year with those 
you know, particular routines being a struggle because it'll add a lot of stress on both you and your child. So start practicing that now. And if it's the evening routine that you struggle with, print some pictures or or get some way, um, find a way that will help you um, with that routine. I say find a way because that's going to be really particular to your child. You might have a neurodivergent child who really needs those pictures. You might have a child that just forgets all the time because they're not focusing on something or haven't practiced a routine because they're used to just following along. You want to remove perhaps a little bit of that guidance for those children in particular. Um, if you feel that you're always saying, okay, come brush your teeth, you might want to say, what's next? Rather than telling them what's next, you might say, okay, we got dressed now. What do we do next? That's the kind of, that's the reason why I'm not giving you particular um, or very specific tips. It's because I want you to discover your child and figure out what they need, write it down, and then find a strategy that will work best for your child. But overall, what you want to have in mind is, is my child learning to become more independent? And what can I do to help them become more independent before the school year begins? The second one is creativity. And I often hear parents talk about, you know, activities and it's hard to plan an activity that's creative or a parent themselves might not be creative. And I don't want you to be creative. (laughs) I'm not creative at all. Um, But when it comes to creativity, it's more of that open endedness, right? So if you have some time left with your child, start saving some, uh, the rolls, you know, the toilet paper rolls, the empty rolls, start saving some empty Kleenex boxes, pick up a, a couple pipe cleaners or straws or um, construction paper, some markers, some glue, some glitter, some stamps, some hole punchers, whatever you could find either at the dollar store or that's on sale at Walmart, something that works for you and your family. What's fun is if you use one of those, um, I don't know what they're called, but you know those plates that you could put out, they're plastic. I found mine at the dollar store, but it has a circular um, spot at the center of this serving dish and you can put a dip or salsa, for example, and then there's sections all around it so you could put different vegetables or crackers or chips or whatever it is. Those plates are amazing for arts and crafts because you can put, you can cut tiny pieces of paper, construction paper, um, you know, so that, because I don't know about your kids, but my kids will often like scribble, especially my three-year-old, like two, three scribbles on a piece of paper and he's done. And I'm like, well, hold on a second. That's, you know, there's a lot more space here to cover, but I don't want to give him that guide. I don't want to say that all the time because perhaps to him, those two scribbles with a blue, yellow and and, and pink marker are are all he wanted to do. And I want to allow him to do that on his own. So what I've found that works well with me is by cutting the paper in smaller pieces. And I'll put that in one of the sections of that serving dish. Then um, at the center, I might put some stamps with one you know, ink pad. Um, I might put some crayons on one section, not too many, uh, but just a few different colors. My older kids will have their own pencil case that has a lot more crayons. But as you know, I have a three, five and seven year old at home now, and I have to be mindful of all three of them. So the older The older two have a pencil case with, they like the coloring pencils, but I'll have a few markers available for my three-year-old because if I give them way too many markers, they're going to end up without the caps and they're going to dry up and I'll get frustrated. So (laughs) I plan ahead. So like I said, each section will have, you know, something, like I said, it could be the paper or the rolls of toilet paper, like the empty rolls, um, I don't know, felt paper, glue, scissors, whatever your child enjoys, but offering them that when you want some downtime either in your morning or your afternoon or at the end of the day when you're preparing a meal, 
if you don't have everything that they own in terms of arts and crafts, you can always switch it up, have, you know, three or four different things that they can play with that day. And there aren't any rules. Let them create whatever they want. Um, having those moments, in addition to, you know, sometimes having moments when it's, you know, a guided activity, perhaps you're going to scribble some swirls and they have to color certain colors inside or whatever it is. But, you know, mix up when it comes to arts and crafts, mix it up between following certain rules, like coloring in a coloring book and you have to color it, you know, try to stay in between the lines or open-endedness where there aren't any rules and you want them to build whatever they want because they might, you know, take some popsicle sticks and build a structure and, you know, there it's the open-endedness and the freedom to think and to build what they want. That aspect is extremely important for school. So again, creativity, but from an open-endedness um, um, point of view where there aren't any instructions is something that you can start doing with your child if you haven't done so yet this summer. Flexibility or cognitive flexibility, so it's not about the the, the limbs, <laughs> Uh, is one of my favorite ones because, so first of all, it's defined as uh, the ability to learn from mistakes and feedback and to design and select alternative strategies to devise plans and to process information uh, from more than one source. Just think, just reading that definition, you realize how important that is for a child to be able to do that when they're in school. Now, um, what this means in terms of your home and what you can do with your child is not always giving them the solution to a problem when they're playing. Let's just take the simple example of um, building a tower of blocks. They might be struggling with it or even a puzzle. They might be struggling with finding out where the piece goes. You might want to give them advice, for example, in a puzzle um, you know, let's just look to see where we can find blue. I noticed this piece has a blue. Let's find a, another piece that has a similar, the same color. Um, you can give them guidance and scaffold, right? Remember, did we, we talked about scaffolding maybe last season. I'm not sure. But scaffolding is really giving the baby steps. So you have your end goal, which is building that puzzle. And you don't want to build the puzzle for your child. You don't want to create, you don't want to do the end goal on your own, but you want to guide them and give them baby steps that lead all the way up the ladder to the end goal. So that might be some some guidance, visual guidance or through words and, and, and so on. So that's what's important when it comes to cognitive flexibility. You don't want to give them the end goal. Cognitive flexibility is something that's really important when it comes to math um, problems and school assignments. So you might be thinking, you know, I, I just listened to your definition and it feels like this might be more for older kids, but but it's not. And you'll be interested in hearing how you can practice these skills. It's actually through sports and exercise and risky play. So let's think about, you know, a child who's playing soccer and they keep struggling to score or there's a certain move that a, an opponent does and they pass them all the time and they get frustrated. This is the place or this is the time to shine when it comes to offering them support to build these cognitive flexibility skills. You have to help them or guide them in terms of how can we think outside the box or which skill do you need to work on that you think might help you? 
again, there might be a lot of emotions around these moments because it's frustrating not to succeed at something. So you might have to, you know, um, tap into emotion regulation skills as well. But what's important is to really look at these moments when your child needs your guidance uh, in terms of developing the cognitive flexibility. So I really want you to, with with whatever time you have left this summer, to incorporate some sort of um, risky play. It might be at the park. It might be a challenge at the park of climbing a little higher or, or, or trying the monkey bars if they haven't done so yet, or if they're climbing the slide and they, they're, they're, they're not succeeding, you know, giving them some guidance of different things they could try. It could be holding more tightly. It could be trying different shoes when they get home. Um, something that has more grip. It could be spreading out your legs a little bit more to the side so that you have more grip when you're climbing. Whatever it is, it is up to um, us to kind of give them that guidance. Again, not pushing them all the way to the top of their slide or holding them so that they can do the monkey bars, but giving them some guidance and also guidance in terms of what to do when you're frustrated <laughs> during those moments. And I know that risky play is hard for some parents. I get it. I also don't particularly enjoy it. Um, But it is those moments that will help build these cognitive flexibility skills. The fourth skill that I would like you to practice um, with your child whenever you have a chance is self-regulation. So that's the emotional part. Um, Lots of studies show that it is important for children to know Um, how to regulate their emotions. And when they do start school or they struggle with regulating emotions, it can make it harder to to develop um, a relationship with um, classmates or with their teacher. So helping them um, know what to do when they feel certain emotions. So when it comes to emotion regulation skills, it's not only about identifying what you are feeling. That's only part of it. And, you know, a big Part of that is knowing that there are emotions, a lot more emotions than feeling angry, sad, or mad, or happy. Um, So using a lot more descriptives with your child, feeling frustrated, feeling excited, feeling overwhelmed, feeling worried, give them that vocabulary. The next thing is to help them understand what it feels like for them to have this emotion. And storytelling. So when you're reading books or when you're watching movies, it's okay to ask your child, you can tell, can you tell that person or that character is angry? And if they say yes, how do you know? Ask them, how do you know that that character is angry? Or if you're reading a book and that particular character is feeling very worried, ask them, how do you know? Is it the language they're using? Is it their body language? Is it something they're seeing in their face and in the picture? Um, so using all these different um, words to describe different emotions. Um, and I, oh my gosh, I don't know how many emotions there are, like hundreds, <laughs> literally. Um, but taking the time to identify these various emotions is another step. The third step is to help your child know what do you do when you feel these emotions, right? So if you are angry, is it okay to hit and to throw things? No, but what can they do when they're feeling really angry? Can they walk away and take a moment And if that's what you want to show them, you can model it yourself as well. You could say, I'm feeling really, really angry right now. I need to take a moment and step away because I don't want to yell at you. You can say that. Um, If you're feeling worried, you can let them know sometimes when you're feeling worried. And you could say, I'm feeling so, I'm feeling a little nervous or worried. Um, So I'm just going to, I don't know, whatever you do, maybe you want to take a, a moment to calm down and to draw or color with them. Maybe you want to go journal and show them that you, you know, if you have an older child, child, that you like to write things down a little bit to get your worries off your mind. Um, So just, you know, make it um, 
make sure that it's it's linked to your child's age. So it could be drawing, coloring, or even journaling. So just letting them know what you do when you feel that emotion. If emotion regulation skills are something that you struggle with, um, I encourage you to try the two-week um, trial, the free trial for my new app called WonderGrade. My co-founder and I, Christy, um, have developed this app where um, you have sections for both your child and you, the parent. In the child section, you have activities that your child could do, whether it's deep breathing or whether it's calming down and meditation for bedtime or activities that they can do when they feel worried or something they can do when they feel really excited. That's also part of emotion regulation. So they have fun activities that they can watch a video and get used to doing that. Not in the moment. Don't show it to them in the moment of that emotion um, because odds are they they don't want to be calmed down in that moment. They just want to let it out. So showing them that app when they're they're not feeling anything, but just as an activity. But there's also the parent section so that you know how to show your child these skills and also how to regulate your own emotions. When it comes to, uh, by the way, I'll have the link for the app uh, in the show notes. When it comes to emotion regulation skills, there are two parts to it. There's the internal part of it, so how a child feels, and there's the external part of it, how they're behaving. Same thing for us, right? Like yelling, is the external part of feeling certain emotions, frustrated, uh, mad, whatever it is, but that's our external and internal. They have external and internal as well, and their external sometimes is perceived as being misbehavior or bad behavior by parents. And that's okay. That's, you know, we we do the best we can with the tools we have and the knowledge we have. But that's why I wanted to mention that today, because perhaps you are viewing certain things that your child is doing in terms of behavior, when in, in, the, in, in fact, it's an underlying emotion and we need to figure out what they're feeling. They might overact, overreact to something when they feel worried or overwhelmed. Um, so being sort of the emotion detective will help you understand that a lot. And then when you start modeling it for your child and teaching them what to do during those emotions or how to identify those emotions, you are helping them build that self-control or the emotion regulation skills. Another part of that is learning how to calm down and to stay focused. So if you find that your child is, is very energetic most of the time, Try cutting out a little bit of screen time if that's a big part of your day or incorporating some calm, uh, calming moments or calm down tools um, that you can help your child with, whether it's sitting down and reading a book all together as a family. Um, when my children have a lot of energy, we bring it down. First, we might have to let go of all that energy by movement. So we might have a moment where we release it. But if they've had that moment to release it and they're struggling to bring down that emotion, that is emotion regulation. That excitement is an emotion. So we need to guide them and teach them how to calm down or come down from that excitement. The last point I wanted to talk about was confidence. Confidence, again, is another one that is just so important for our kids, whether they're about to start school or if they're already in school. Um, And there are two parts to this that I want to talk about. So praising and how to praise a child. And the second one is mistakes. So let's start with praising. Let's take a child who um, just scored a goal at soccer, right? And they come back and you you are excited for them. You're so happy for them. There, You could either praise the effort or the child, right? So if we praise the effort, we might say something like, um, 
I noticed that I'm so proud that you scored a goal, high five or a hug or whatever it is. And then focusing on the effort saying, you know, I noticed you've been trying really hard to score and I noticed you passed it to the person you've been practicing with and they passed it back and then you scored. I'm really proud of you. You've been trying so hard to do this and you got it. Um, Versus your child comes back and you say, you're the best player on that field. I've never seen anybody play the way that you play and you are amazing. <laughs> so there's a, there's a very big difference. And again, if the second one that I said the, the comes out, you know, it's okay. But in the, in the long run, <laughs> what you want to focus on is really focusing on a child's effort because that shows them that they really do need to do the work and that it's not just about them. They're not just amazing. And, you know, sometimes it could lead to them thinking they're better than everybody and also not wanting to put in the effort, right? So it might change their mindset a little bit. And you want to make sure that you're just aware of that when you're focusing on them. So if you have some time left this summer and they're in sports, or even if they're at home and you gave them a task and they did it really well. Praise the effort. It's okay to praise. Sometimes praise gets a bad rap and it's it's not bad, but we just have to be mindful of how we're praising our child because we don't want them going around feeling that they're better than everyone else and that they really don't have to do much work <laughs> to get to that. Um, I just had a, a memory of my, my brother. <laughs> when we were young, I would... Um, I don't know, study three times longer than he would uh, for a test, let's say. And I would get 70, you know, and I was like, "Uh, that's not the best, but that was my best. A child will never do, um, a child will never try to not do their best, right? And sometimes as parents, we might say like, come on, I know you could do better than that. And I find that sometimes when we say that, it makes the child feel bad because they might have done their best. And if they, you know, didn't get the grade that you thought they would, it's not it's it's more because there might be a skill that's missing and the skill might be learning how to focus the skill might be learning how to study for an exam maybe they don't know how to do that and maybe they need help maybe they're not remembering when it's time to do an exam or to take the test because they didn't focus very well maybe they need to learn note taking or you know there are so many things and when it comes to me i really did struggle with remembering Um, what I was studying, even if I would study three hours or like so long for a test, it just wasn't there by the time I sat for the exam. That memory was gone and it was as if I hadn't even studied. It took so many years for me to get into university and realize that I I needed to change how I was studying. And I don't know if there's an underlying, you know, uh, learning disorder. I, I don't know if there's underlying attention disorder. I've never been diagnosed for it, but I know that it was a huge struggle. And I was just, my mom never got upset at me, but she just kept saying like, you know, you need to try, you need to try harder. And, and it was coming from a good place as we, it all, it comes from a good place from all of us. But I just want parents to be mindful of that, of making sure that we really praise the effort and not make the child feel bad. And that sort of is a good segue into talking about mistakes you know, uh, mistakes are not a bad thing. And I think sometimes as parents, we're hard on ourselves when it comes to mistakes and in, in, in our parenting. And next uh, week, I'll talk about self-compassion. So I'll talk a lot more about that. But what I want to focus on today is when our child makes a mistake, whether it's, you know, not doing well in sports that day or coming back with an exam that you thought they should have done much better on. 
take the time to sit with the child and say like, what, okay, so what were you good at? What did you excel at? And where did you struggle? Where, what do we need to work on together as a team? Uh, rather than focusing on the fact that mistakes are bad, mistakes are always, 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 always <laughs> a learning opportunity. And we need to think about that our, as our, you know, for ourselves as parents, because sometimes we feel guilty that we made mistakes, but we need to go back and say, where, what do I need to work on so that I don't repeat that mistake? If we can model that for our child and, um, and show them that we learn from our mistakes as well. Let's say you, you created a pasta dish and you put four cloves of garlic and man, that was like some nasty pasta that tasted like garlic. And you're sitting down, you know, instead of saying like, oh, I really messed up this dinner. I'm not a good cook. I, I, I thought I could do it on my own and I didn't follow a recipe and I messed it all up. Rather than doing that, we can say, well, this isn't, <laughs> this isn't my best meal and it really tastes strongly of garlic. Sorry, guys. Um, next time I'll try two cloves of garlic instead of four because clearly four is way too many. Um, just modeling that sort of thing for your child will, you know, show them like, you know, mommy and daddy make mistakes and, and that's okay. Mistakes aren't bad. Um, but I just need to make sure that I go back and figure out like what I need to work on. So that helps them build their confidence because when they, you know, make a mistake somewhere or aren't at their best, they're not going to perceive, perceive it or look at it as a failure. They're going to look at it as a learning opportunity and that helps with confidence. So that's everything I wanted to tell you today. Let's review those five skills that you can start working on with your child if you haven't done so. So independence, creativity, cognitive flexibility, self-control, and their confidence. I hope that the description I gave you is enough to help you get started on your way um, and, and help your child with these skills. If you've been focusing on academic skills to help prepare your child, that's okay. But these skills, you know, independence, again, going back to being able to use scissors or tape or break, you know, open a bag or those are all things that will really help them in school. So with the school year coming, um, let's just focus on these skills with our kids and get them confident and doing well in school. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to the Curious Neuron podcast uh, anywhere you listen to podcasts. And if you enjoyed this episode, let me know by leaving a review and rating the podcast. If you don't have time to, to leave a review, just rate it on five stars. <laughs> I hope it's five stars, but let me know that you're enjoying it so that we can continue publishing these types of episodes for you that will help you become the parent you've always wanted to be. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week. Bye.